Hey, all you cool cats and commies. I'm Caleb. I'm Zach. And this is In The Mood. Your working class podcast. All right, all right, all right. We are back for another week. Another week of driving fast and eating ass. Because if you're not doing it, are you doing life? Are you doing life? No. All right, so take us in. So for starters, let's give us an Amazon update. All right, so by the time you listen to this, the voting for Amazon will most likely be over of whether to unionize in Alabama. So whether Alabama will unionize and become the first warehouse in America to unionize will be decided by the time you hear this, most likely. March 30th is the vote, right? Yes, voting is due on between March 29th and March 30th. So we hope by then that, you know, those in power will not you know, do what they do and actually allow the workers to have protections. It's crazy. So speaking of the Amazon update, I think you need to let the viewers know a big special guest was in town. Two big special guests. It was huge. Huge. It was huge. We had Senator Bernie Sanders and Killer Mike, the rapper Killer Mike, were both in town to drum up support right at the end before the end of the voting. So when they were there, something that really stuck out to me, I tried to go, but I couldn't, but I was able to hear the interview or the speech that Killer Mike gave and the one that Bernie gave, but the one that Killer Mike gave really stuck out to me because it really hits home about this working class angle that we take for this podcast because we're both two working class people. We're not rich. We go to work every day. We work hard. We pay just, our dues. We just want to pay... We just want to be able to pay our bills, yep. you know? And so Killer Mike made a great comparison between Amazon and how Alabama used to be during the antebellum period. So before the Civil War. And during. And during, yeah. And he talked about how the planner class before the Civil War, they were the rich elites. So tell people what the planner class exactly is. Yeah, they were the rich elites. They were the ones who owned the huge plantations. They owned hundreds of hundreds of thousands of acres. They owned hundreds of thousands of slaves. They were the ones who ran everything. But at the same time, while also, you know, owning other fucking human beings, they also exploited the white working class people, which were the poor white farmers of that time. Wow. So exactly. So for people that get angry that, oh, well, it's all it's all just about a section of minorities. It's about every Exactly. Gender. It's a class yeah, issue. Exactly. It's all a class issue. So they were exploiting the working class, normal, everyday white people, too, for their wages. Just like today. Think about it. Jeff Bezos is worth $190 billion. That's he, an update, too. Yeah. He is the richest human on Earth. And he is able to exploit working class people today. It's the same thing. Not to mention... When you describe exploit, it's inhumane working conditions. Yes. It is inhuman what they're being forced to do. And you realize, like you said, that they have videos and pictures of people having to pee in bottles, people, women having to change their tampons, or if it's their menstrual period, you know. Yeah, if they are a minute late to work, they lose an hour's worth of pay. So if you get caught in traffic... They are worth, and by the way, they have to walk close to 10 minutes to get to work. So think about that. Once you park, you, you can't just park out front. You've got to walk to your work. So think about this. They are literally 
Jeff Bezos is working them as hard as physically human possible, paying them the least amount physically human possible, just so that he is able to gain more and more wealth, more and more power. So I agree about this whole Amazon thing. So can you explain to people who are anti-union that are against this why like what exactly their reasoning for supporting anti-unions like why what is their like why is it they even though they're clearly in the wrong because of the in, inhumane work conditions like you've seen the ceo of amazon uh or was it like a chief like a vp uh marketing officer or something mm -hmm. said uh well he, he was just like defending his like the actions of amazon they're gonna try to skew it they're gonna yeah, try skew to it. spin yeah they're gonna try to spin the story to get people that don't pay attention to say, well, the unions, they don't do anything. They just use the people and they just get rich off of their union dues. There you go. That's bullshit. The reason that we have a 40-hour working week, which is still outrageous to begin with, but we can talk about that another time, is because of unions. The reason that we actually have a minimum wage, although it's way too low, was because of unions. The fact that we have child labor laws is because of unions. The fact that we have safe working conditions is because of unions. The fact that we actually have safe food and water somewhat to eat and drink is because of unions. Unions are a good thing. It is the workers of a business coming together to say that we should have a stake in this company. Well, you deserve to be treated better, basically. We deserve to be treated, but we also deserve to, our labor entitles Needs to count. us to have a stake in this company. We should be able to have a say-so in this company. We make the company great, so we should have a say-so in it. We shouldn't just have to take orders from this man on high who hadn't done shit for this country or for this co uh, company, who just sits there and makes billions of dollars off of our labor. We make him rich, but yet he pays us dirt, poor, dirt wages. Crumbs. He, yeah, crumbs. He makes us go piss in a bottle he counts the time that we go to that we go to the bathroom and deducts it from our yes. from your actual pay that is why we have unions so that workers can feel safe so my question what bothers me is that do people actually realize that like the man is exploiting people you know like it's he's we have exploiting. Been so conditioned. brainwashed we've been brainwashed and conditioned in this country to say well he worked hard for what he got so he's perfect. No. So then if you don't make it rich like Jeff Bezos, are you a failure in life? No. Think about it. He didn't make these billions of dollars. The workers who you, you helped him make his billions of dollars. He didn't give a fuck about you. But yet he wants you to be able to still continue to help him make money. Don't you deserve the protections that for helping or a stake in the company for being able to make him that much money? And continue to make him that much money exactly. as, as we, the number one's rich, world's most richest man. Exactly. We have been so conditioned in this country to defend and cater to the elite billionaires and millionaires who've made money off of our labor, and we're supposed to just be okay with that? Like, think about it. Being able to ask more than just the bare minimum from your employer should not be considered a radical thing. should not be considered a bad thing. Wanting more in life than just the bare minimum or crumbs, as you said, should not be considered radical or some crazy thing. That should be just common sense. So, just blows my mind. 
So that's our Amazon update for the for this episode. So let's we're, update. we're fixing to get in the uh, meat and taters as the they, as, as the uh, people in the South say taters. Um, what exactly is Biden's infrastructure plan that he it is a proposed three trillion dollar infrastructure plan? So yeah, so this is his big domestic policy that he's looking at. So this would be the first actual infrastructure plan since Dwight D. Eisenhower actually. When Eisenhower in the 1950s set up the interstate system, that was the first big infrastructure plan after FDR's New Deal, of course. So like you mentioned, it would be a $3 trillion plan, and the whole aim of it is to boost the economy, reduce carbon emissions, and narrow the economic inequalities by investing in infrastructure, education, workforce development, and fighting climate change, all to help make the economy more productive. So pretty much... If we have a coherent, actual functioning interstate travel system, ability to travel, we will be, we will be more efficient as a country. And you know what's so funny about what you said? The fact that Republicans would find something wrong with that. Literally having well-paved roads. One of my favorite ladies, Roseanne, I'm calling you out. She taught me this one interesting thing when I first started volunteering for Real Progressive. She said the best way to reach someone is talk about this. Do you want well-paved roads? What would you say? Yes, I'm tired of getting <laughs> flats on a pothole. Right. Do you like having clean water to drink? Yes. Okay. And not water that catches fire. When right. You-, <laughs> you, know, you know, you want to be able to drink water and not die. Um. Do you like having clean food to eat? Yes, all the pesticides are awful. Do you like having clean air to breathe? Yep. Do you like having good schools for your child? Most, well, your future uh, children, hopefully. future children and generations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. Right there. All of those A are socialist policies, first off. But second off, those are things that we can easily agree on. Uh, you know, on, on just a little bitty side note, and we're going to, I'm going to bring it right back. But you know, when you said socialist policy, doesn't that just almost remind you of the fire department and police department? Yeah. It's crazy how those things are socialist policies in our country. That we all support each and every day. And, and uh, what about, what would you say to uh, Republican people that say, oh, well, those are just goods and services provided? Okay, I'd also say, what about those goods and services that pay for your retirement, your Social Security check each month? You don't complain about that. If it's a socialist policy that you hate, if socialism is so terrible, then don't accept your Social Security pol- uh, check each month. But I digress. All of that to say, those are easy things that we can all agree on, that we all that's, a, that's an inroad, in other words, which is infrastructure should be an easy concept to that, invest in. Yeah, that, and to invest in and to agree upon, whether you're Democrat, Republican, liberal, right, uh, leftist, moderate, or a union guy. We should all be able to agree. So pretty much like like you said, the fact is that this episode is probably one is going to be the most bipartisan episodes we've ever put out. But I guarantee you that we're going to have somebody disagree with this. And I want you, if, for, if you disagree with us, we want to make sure we hear from you. Please leave us a comment or a review and tell us why you disagree with us. We like and know. subscribe as well. Exactly. We need to do a Q&A episode, just a whole Not, episode uh, based on questions we, and yeah, We already had QAnon. Speaking we of already that. had QAnon, which got deleted, by the way, from YouTube because we were uh, bullying by calling out QAnon. But I digress. Cult supporters, but you know. <laughs> you know, whatever. So can you explain how this Biden infrastructure plan is going to be split up? within like they said it's within two pieces right yeah so it's going to be two major pieces the first one is going to be infrastructure 
And, you know, that might actually be more appealing to Democrats, moderate Democrats and Republicans. And the second piece is then a focus on domestic policies like free college, community college, universal pre-K, and an expansion of the ch child tax credits. While it's not as much as we could, it's a good start. It's a there start. You got, I mean, you got to start. start somewhere, man. You know. It's a start. As I mean, uh, you know, like you said, even Joe Biden in his day, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, as much as people give him shit, at least you got to start somewhere. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a start, which I would argue that, you know, we are so far gone in this decrepit capitalist system that we can't just we can't just wait for oh well it's a good start we need to have bold radical action transformative action but we'll get there later on in this episode so what is exactly one of the major pieces to define this Biden presidency pretty much yeah so he's kind of basing his legacy on a few different bold policies that he wants to pass He's going to base his legacy off of the coronavirus relief plan. He's going to base it off of hopefully being able to vote through the For the People Act. And this one dealing with um, the infrastructure. So, you know, he faces this huge pressure to scale back these domestic policies after we had no Republican support of the Recovery Act. So literally not, one. One, not one Republican voted for the coronavirus. Bill. Do you think that's just pretty much just politics itself? Is like people? Do you think? Do you think that's just like a bunch of babies? You know, like because it's because it it's sponsored by Joe Biden or it's sponsored. You know what I'm saying? You're right, but that just makes it even more disgusting. Exactly, like that's what I'm saying. It's so ridiculous. It's, it's, it's like you're in pre-K. Yeah, it's like that's the excuse they're using to literally fuck with people's lives, and so it's disgusting to me. It's disgusting that we only cover a little bit, but, you know, also it's disgusting that people would vote no just because it was Joe Biden pushing it through. Like, I don't, I, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. And I think it's disgusting. You, They don't care because they're not the ones being affected. Suffering. There you go. They're still getting their payments, their benefits from the lobbyists that buy them out when they get elected. But, yeah, so pretty much... If he does end up scaling back these domestic policies, though, if he starts, they're saying, oh, it's going to cost too much, all that bullshit, then he would completely give up on all of his 2020 campaign promises. And this would screw over the left even more than he already has. You know, he comes into it saying, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the most progressive president ever. But it hadn't happened. Hadn't happened. If anything, he is just another run-of-the-mill right-wing imperialist president. But would you say like a George Bush 2.0 or what? Yeah, he's not he's not even moderate in many of his proposals. He is literally right winger. He's a right winger. But anyway, anyway, so, you know, while this price tag might upset Republicans, which is still bullshit, but we'll get to that. It could cement he could uh, cement his domestic agenda besides having just the coronavirus package. If he's able to pass this infrastructure bill, it would be a great step towards actually bringing this country and in, truly into the 21st century when it comes to infrastructure. Exactly. So let's discuss the first part of it. So what, what does the first part entail? Okay. So um, it's going to focus on infrastructure. So when I say infrastructure, let's go ahead and just clear that up. Infrastructure means roads, trains, trains, planes, trains, and automobiles, literally. So roads, bridges, uh, railways, internet service broadband internet service because you know we're actually using technology the electrical grid um what else the uh airline or the airports 
all of these different things are considered uh dams dams and also (laughs) um i I heard on uh biden's live stream whenever he had it on cnn it was the fact that um you know old like methane you know like that's uh old oil wells that are leaking methane that haven't been capped oh yeah yeah so even dealing with uh environmental that's what yeah protections yes of course and so it just uh reminded me of something else but anyway um you know this is how we can actually bring this country it's just decaying from the inside out very symbolic of capitalism but um this country is just decaying from the inside. I mean, our roads, our bridges are just so destroyed. They're so crumbling. And each and every one of you listening to this, I guarantee have complained about a pothole that you hit every day going to work or a road that is so damn bumpy because it needs to be repaved. And I know exactly on 459 every single section that I need to swerve over because the roads are crumbling because they haven't been fixed in decades so i think you need to let the people know america that the superpower the 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 free world it what exactly does it rank in infrastructure what what's the grade we actually rank 13th in the world you know american exceptionalism we are the best country on earth we have the most resources the wealthiest country that we love to brag about yet we rank 13th and have a d rating for our infrastructure And so, like I mentioned, we're going to focus on all the different aspects about roads, bridges, railways, and all of that. So, in the United States, it's estimated that we must spend, must, not just maybe, not just eh, but must spend $225 billion a year in order to keep our roads up to standard. $225 billion. And so, in this infrastructure plan, hundreds of billions of dollars are expected to be set aside for building and repairing roads. And so looking at it nationwide, each of you, like I mentioned, see each and every day how a road you come across. So 21% of the roads in this country are in poor condition, which most people would say, oh, well, 21%, that's not bad. Think about how many miles of roads are in this nation. Think about how many billion billions of miles of roadways, paved roadways. So 20% of that would be hundreds of millions of miles of roads that needs to be fixed and repaired. 7.6% of bridges are in need of replacement or repair. So think about this. Last year, uh, 14,300 people died on the interstates strictly due to poor road conditions, or total. A third of those were due to poor working conditions, or road conditions. So think about that. A third of 14,000, that's close to about 5,000 people died because of poor working conditions conditions of roads. The roads were in such horrible conditions that people died. It's almost like a healthcare system, you know, like people that can't get access to decent healthcare die. But, you know, anyway, just by driving to work to help make money for the business owners that they work for, they died. Like, have y'all ever stopped to think about that? Like, literally, think about that. Just by driving to work, you could die because of the roads that are in such horrible conditions. So the government is supposed to provide the safety and welfare of this country, and they can't even do that with by having a damn road paved. That's what we've gotten to in this country. And not That's, even mentioning the freaking interstates that are way over capacity. Yes, exactly. These re- interstates were, not, were built in the 1950s. 
our population in the 1950s was about 200 million people. We have almost doubled that now. We are at 330 some odd million people in this country. So think about that. These interstates were not built to withstand the amount of people driving on that over and over and over again. So nearly half of the interstates are well over 70% capacity. And so by 2035, so literally 14 years from now, the interstate, its usage could actually double leading to your time and traffic. So think about how horrible it is driving through downtown Birmingham at times. Think about how horrible it is driving through Atlanta during rush hour traffic. For me, I remember driving through Tampa just to make it a mile and a half from my school to my apartment. It took like an hour just to drive. Now, imagine doubling that, the amount of hours you spent yearly in traffic. That is outrageous. Why can we not dream for more in this country? Why can we not? Instead of Band-Aids, right? Yeah, we just do these Band-Aids like, oh, let's just slap a little bit of uh, asphalt over the um, pothole. No, like, why can't we like dream for more? Why can't we dream for a better functioning interstate system or a green interstate system, which we'll get to that in a second. And so, you know, looking at bro uh, bridges, rail railroads, and broadband internet. So broadband internet is really interesting to think about because this wasn't an issue when Eisenhower built the interstate system that he had to worry about. There wasn't internet. There wasn't Wi-Fi. So nearly 25% or roughly 150,000 bridges are in need of repair. So, And also there needs to be at least $200 billion a year spent to keep railways functioning because over 1,000 derailments happen per year in the United States because of crumbling railroads. In Alabama alone, I did a little extra research. I went above and beyond. 143 derailments happened in Alabama last year. Alone. Alone. In one year, 143 times a train ran off the track. In one state. In one rural majority state because of crumbling railroads. And then finally, uh, broadband internet coverage. This would allow equitable access to functioning internet in all the rural areas of the country. So all these places out in the middle of bumfuck nowhere could finally have access to internet. So think about that. All the people that whose lives could also be saved thanks to internet coverage because they don't have internet coverage. What if they have a heart attack? Or think about all the kids that have had to be at home who can now have access to schooling at home or have a way to work on homework at home. Think about how much better they'll perform in school. There's so many. This is why it's infrastructure. It's building up the country because in the long term, it'll end up paying off because we'll be a more efficient and proficient country. Right. So the like the million dollar question that's going to make Mitch McConnell shit his pants. What about investing in green energy? Oh, I can't do it. So <laughs> he probably just added an extra little gizzard onto his neck. Each time somebody says gizzard. green energy, he just adds. Bloop, bloop. But it kind of just shook a little bit. But um. So $400 billion, roughly, of the 300 trillion, or 300 trillion, Jesus, I wish, $3 trillion would be invested in combating climate change. So I know that a bunch of you right now just went, whoa, climate change, that's a hoax, which... It's a political hoax from the left. It's the, what the radical Democrat socialists just want to push through because it's 
actually taking care of the planet that we live on, providing a better place to live for our grandparent, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It's actually taking care of the thing that we were blessed by God to take care of. I believe there in there a passage in the Bible of talking about being a good t- caretaker or steward of being your brother's keeper. Oh, bring your brother's keeper. So if I take care of the environment, I'm by proxy taking care of you, aren't I? On I would, paper. I would say so, yes. If I provide clean drinking water to you by helping keep the environment clean, aren't I helping you? That prolongs your life instead oh. of drinking dirty water that's flammable. Crazy. <laughs> Literally flammable. I love how you keep going back to that. That gives a good example. So, yes, that's called being your brother's keeper. But anyway, so $60 billion of this would be for infrastructure leading to green transit. And close to $46 billion would be climate-related research and development. So think about this. When I say green transit, um, I'm talking about the fact that, you know, more and more cars are becoming electrical. You know, 100% electric. For good reason. Yeah. Besides the fact that they are just just sneaking up silent, on Silent. Silent assassin. Yeah, they're like silent but deadly. No, um, so... You know, the plan would be to make these electrical vehicle charging stations available across the country. So think about that. That would cut down on our need for foreign oil or for oil in general, these fossil fuels. And we would be able to, you know, also create jobs. Crazy. How do you think all these electrical charging stations are going to be built? Does it just snap your fingers? Not not overnight. Exactly. They are somebody's getting paid to install them and in return like you said it's a it's a trade exactly so it's providing jobs crazy concept and so the plan would also include 200 billion dollars for housing infrastructure to combat climate change so people living in and around the coast would have weather reinforced houses because hurricanes obviously based on this last year we had 31 32 named hurricanes named storms Climate change is real, and it's affecting the coastlines. So they're having to now reinforce uh, homes that are built along the coasts. And also, $100 billion to provide to expand the supply of housing for low-income Americans. So this is a way to start to combat the crisis. Yeah, the crisis that is houselessness in this country. Homelessness Well, yeah, as well. Yeah, well, how I call it houselessness because you know anywhere you live is a home. You could argue, so the ability, so for someone not to have a house to live in, in other words, so that's how you combat this houselessness pandemic that is plaguing here. And I mean, that's just the humanitarian thing to do. You know, why should anyone in this country, if we are the greatest country on earth, why should anyone not have the ability to lay their head down in a safe? dry place at night you know it's a crazy concept so let's so leading in let's discuss the second piece of the domestic policy plan which is the infrastructure deal okay so yeah the second part of the infrastructure plan deals with these domestic policies including universal pre-k and free community college tuition so essentially joe biden is saying There's two different policies in this infrastructure bill. There's the physical infrastructure, which is like roads, bridges, you know, uh, dams. You know, growing up, I used to love saying dams because I felt like I was cussing. 
But anyway, the second half is what he called human infrastructure, which is so very true. We have to have a strong and invest in human infrastructure. So pre-K, if children have the ability to go to universal pre-K, I mean, look at all the European countries that are, you know, in the top 10 in education. If you are able to invest in universal pre-K, then children have an extra year of schooling, which means they are even more well-educated, which then means they are able to either go into a trade or a college more prepared, which then makes them more productive human beings. So it's investing early to provide a better, well-rounded person in the future. You're investing in the future, essentially. Community college tuition being covered. If that is free, more people have the ability to not only go to college, but come out of college being in less in debt, which, you know, the ultimate goal is to have debt-free college and actually become one of the industrialized world because, you know, the majority of industrialized nations have free college. But, you know, community cough, college... Cough, Canada. <laughs> cough, cough, all of the world that's industrialized. All of Europe, Japan, Russia. They pay you to go to college, for the record. But anyway, but we're supposed to hate Russia, right? We're supposed to be the enemy of Russia. Why? Do you know why? Why are we supposed to be the enemy of Russia? I guess because the one superpower versus another. Right. So even though Vladimir Putin reaches out, which I love his last name, but even though he reaches out and is like, hey, we, we don't need to hate each other. We need to be allies because we are the two world powers. How can we better cohabitate in this industrialized world? Are you sure it's just all that all is just isn't just a front and pretty much just like they would just backstab America in the end if... Well, yeah, but I mean, doesn't America do the same thing? I know that, but <laughs> you know? yeah, but, but but the point I'm getting, like the point one would make was would say, why is it that you can't, like you said, you just can't be buddy buddy with everybody because somebody eventually will turn on you or stab you in the back. Yeah, but wouldn't you rather be keep? What is it? Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Even if you don't trust them, I would rather be in good with them than to be against them. Because you have a better chance of knowing what's going on if you are friends with someone than if you are not. But anyway, I got us on a tangent. That's my bad. But these are needed, though. These are needed. But think about it. If you have free community college and you come in with less debt coming out of college, then you are have the ability to, you know, just prosper more as a citizen. So think about how much more you would be able to do if you had a four-year degree and you didn't have the debt that comes with it. You'd be able to buy a house. You'd inject more in the economy. Crazy concept, isn't it? Huh. Wow, that would more than pay for the quote, quote, cost that it would be. And so the last thing that they really are pushing for is to extend these uh, child tax credits and make them just essentially in, in place going forward. So just have them built into where they these child tax credits are just in law as a, as a law instead of just for the next year. So that would be an even better boost to the long-term uh, health of the economy. If people have more disposable income, they're able to do more for themselves and for others. So exactly, like, what's one of the main areas to have opposition? Like, like as an example, like, the, like, what's some of the pushback to how much it will cost? And that's one of the big things is, you know, that people are going to come back with, well, 
what about the cost? That's the main thing Republicans and even moderate Democrats are saying, whoa, whoa, there's $3 trillion. We cough, can't cough, do Joe it. Manchin, cough, cough. <laughs> Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinema, all of the— um, but, and By the way, I meant to say, did you know Kristen Cinema's uh, approval rating went skyrocketing down after she voted no on the— Plummeted. Yeah, on the $15 an hour. Good. Vote her ass out. Vote her ass out. Primary her ass. Get rid of these people. They are literally, that just shows that they are more worried about corporate donors than they are of the people. If you truly support the people, you will support and go to bat for people. These $15 minimum wages, Medicare for all. I don't care if the vote loses. I want whoever I fucking vote for to go to bat for me. And the American people, the working class, want that too. And you know what? Isn't that the reason why you have mentioned before why Bernie's, re like, he keeps getting reelected? Yes. It doesn't matter that every single thing that he pushes gets voted down. The people that he is representing see that he goes to bat for them time and time again. And I'm not trying to make him into some perfect hero. I'm just saying, if you go to bat for the person that you are, if you are an elected official and you go to bat for the people that are electing you, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose, they will have your back because they see that you are one of them. Why do you think Henry Wallace was so popular, the VP uh, for FDR? He pushed all of these policies that we're talking about today back in the 1940s. And the Democrats back then about, or the people, the working class, about rioted when he was kicked off the ticket for Harry Truman because he was a man of the people. He was a man of the people. Why do you think Bernie has, was, has no one run against him? Even no Republicans, one. nobody. No they, they one just... runs against him because he is literally an independent from Vermont that has like a 94% approval rating because people know that he goes to bat for them. He's literally able to show up this last week in anti-union Alabama. Probably the most, if not besides Mississippi, the most conservative state. Yes, an anti-conservative and hardcore conservative state. And he has people show up in droves because people know that he is going to fight for them. And that's what it's going to take is a working class candidate, someone that truly supports the working class. And so all that to say, you know, everybody goes into talking about, oh, how much it's going to cost. It's going to, it's cost going to affect much. us working class people taxes. Yeah, our taxes, we're going to, it's us that are going to pay for it. Well, first off, let's just go ahead and talk about this right here. I'm going to give you the, Biden answer, then I'm going to give you my answer. I, th I think whole... people need to see what the what what exactly is laid out in front of them from the yeah. presidential perspective. And I'm going to lay everything out, and then I'm going to give you my perspective. So, so Biden's perspective first. So Biden says, how are you going to pay for it? Well, anybody making over $400,000 a year will see a small to significant tax increase. So I agree. The more you make, the more you should pay. Pay your fair share. You pay your fair share. We should have a wealth tax in this country. I 100% wholeheartedly agree that we should have a wealth tax. If Jeff Bezos is worth $190 billion, do you know how much he would have paid in taxes last year if we would have had a wealth tax? $5 billion. So literally, if, he, that, if that's just saying if he did not make one more penny after he paid taxes, then he would only be worth $185 billion. Boo fucking who? Okay, he's going to more than make that back this year. So it's not like he's going to be, oh, my pocket's hurting. It's literally just being the ethical thing. 
it's just the, the more you make, the more you should pay. That's just all there is to it. And the working class people that have been duped into supporting and in just covering for these people, what does that hurt you one bit? Why are you taking up for someone who doesn't give a shit about you? You pay your taxes. Why should he not pay his? That's what it comes down to. But anyway, the corporate tax rate would go to 39% up from 20%. Do you know? Fun fact, Zach. Ooh, that's a good section. We should have a section like that. Fun fact, Zach. Did you know what president had the highest corporate tax rate in our nation's history? The same president that pushed for the rebuilding of or making of the roads. Yes, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Ike, a Republican president, had the highest corporate tax rates. So literally taxing these big businesses was perfectly fine with Republicans. Perfectly fine. It was 90%. The corporate tax rate was 90%. Do you know who cut it? Who? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan decided to cut it to 38%. For big businesses. Because he was work, but he was the working class president, which that's fucking bullshit. But anyway, um, it also provides tax incentives for businesses who uh, reinforce their buildings to be more energy efficient. So if you're a business that can, um, all these big corporations that can reinforce their buildings, which in the long term would Saves help, you money. Yes, but in the long term save you money, you get tax incentives, which, cool, fine, whatever. And of course, then we get the Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell reaction. Besides saying, if you do away with the filibuster, it's going to be total war. Did you Have you read that? What does it say? Mitch McConnell, you know, the filibuster, the thing that makes it where we have to have 60 votes the, and uh, the Senate to be able to pass anything. He said, if Democrats do away with the filibuster. Which, is that legally possible? It's easy. Yeah, we how, would you, how would one do it? By having a simple 51-person vote. And say that we want to do away with the filibuster. It's that simple. Democrats could easily do it right now. And you think so? Do you, do you think like you're more conservative, Joe Manchin, or do you think they would? Why? Agree? Why do you want the filibuster? That's what I'm saying. That's you... what I wanted to ask them. Why would they want the filibuster? The only thing it does. Who goes? Well, it forces bipartisanship. Well, you see, bipartisan partisanship doesn't work. It doesn't work. One, not one Republican voted for the health care or for uh, the coronavirus. Not one. So what, that shows you what bipartisanship's going to be. We had fucking Republicans voting against giving a commendation to the Capitol Hill police officer who saved the same people that voted against him. They wanted to give him a common a commendation. We had Senate or House and Senate Republicans vote against that. So to hell with bipartisanship. I shove it down their goddamn throats is what I say. But that shows you who has been bought out by corporate lobbyists and who is actually fighting for the people. Yeah, so pretty much what Mitch McConnell is saying is that it's just a left-wing or left-wing policy that's going to just be a Trojan horse for their agenda, pretty much. 100%. He said, of course, just like you said, he said, we're hearing the next few months there might be so-called infrastructure proposals that may actually be a Trojan horse for massive tax hikes and other job-killing left-wing policies. So, tax hikes on those on the wealthy, who, yeah, on not, the wealthy. not on us, because even the president himself, Joe Biden, says if you're not making more than over four hundred thousand dollars, then you're not 
your taxes aren't going up. So right there, that should tell you who the Republicans are for right there. He's more worried about millionaires and billionaires than he is about making sure that we have roads that are safe to drive on. That should tell you everything that you need to know. And, and I'm calling out Democrats too. If a Democrat votes against this bill, they, that tells you who they are who they are more worried about. And so they're sitting there and they're saying, well, it's going to uh, expand the deficit. It's going to, we're going to have so much debt. So what you're just, like, like you said, that's just pretty much just a scare tactic. Exactly. 100%. And it leads me into my perspective. So we can afford to have these bills. We can afford a $3 trillion or more. I say go more. We can afford it because it's this view called modern monetary theory. And it's not saying it's this new thing that's going to be implemented. So in layman terms, what is that? Yeah, I'll break it down for you. First off, taxes don't fund spending. Our tax dollars that you pay, federal tax dollars, does not fund spending. You've been taught your whole life that you have to um, you have to balance your checkbook, quote, quote. You, you can't spend more than you bring in, right? Yeah, or else you'll be in the negatives. Right. You will, you'll lose your house. You'll lose your apartment, right? States work that way as well. States have to balance their budgets. Yeah, but the federal government doesn't. The federal government does not. So when the federal government spends more than they, quote, quote, take in, they have something called debt or a deficit, right? But deficits are not a bad thing because think about this. When we, when the Congress decides to fund something, they don't wait for our tax dollars to come in before they fund it or fund it, do they? No. No, they don't sit there and go, well, we were going to fund this program, but we got to wait for this certain amount of money to come in. No, they literally create money by appropriating or allocating, giving money to, let's say, this program, let's say Social Security, the way that that happens, I'm going to give you a lesson on how things get funded in this government, okay? Congress says, okay, we are going to fund Social Security, let's say. I'm just breaking it down really, really easy. Um, they go to the Federal Reserve, which is where all our money comes from, right? They say, we need you to put this much money into the bank account of Social Security, just layman's terms, right? They are literally creating money digitally like that. It's not like they go get, okay, a and billion... That, and all that's left to do is print, right? They don't even print it. No, money's not printed. Money is all digital. When you get paid, does somebody go and put $1,000 into your bank account? Physical $1,000? No, it shows up in your bank account on your app, right? A 1000 physical dollars does not get put into your bank account. It's all digital and up in the air, essentially. So think about it. Do you think... Like, let's say if you have $1,000 in the bank, do you think that literally $1,001 bills are sitting in the bank? No. That's not how our money system works. Money says, because we have $100 in your bank account, that's because we know that there's $100 in your bank account. We agree as a society that that $100 is worth $100, right? So... All that to say, it's digital. It's not physical money. So they don't physically print money. We can't run out of money because our Congress spends money into existence by saying, hey, we're going to appropriate or uh, sit, 
fund Social Security for a billion dollars, that's saying we are going to fund Social Security. So Congress says we are going to create a billion dollars and send it in because we don't sit and wait for tax dollars to come in. How do you think that they're able to fund all these defense programs? Do they wait for a trillion dollars to come in in taxes? No. When they give these tax cuts to these billionaires, and do you think that they are worried about, are, are they worried about, oh, well, if, if we give tax cuts to billionaires, then tax dollars won't be coming in. So how are we going to do it? They're not worried about the deficit then. So what I'm saying is we cannot go broke because we issue our own dollars. The United States issues dollars. That's our currency, right? Right. We don't base it off of euros. We don't base it off of the dong. We don't base it off of the peso. We base it off of our own. We are our own currency issuer. Where that's called sovereign currency issuer. Okay. So we can quote quote print as much money as we want to. We just but then people go well. What about hyperinflation? That's what taxes are for. When you pay a tax, that's saying you're giving the government say 50 bucks, right? That's $50 that's no longer in circulation, right? Right. What is inflation? When too much money is in circulation. So taxes are a way to keep our our currency from inflating and having losing value essentially. So all of that to say we can afford these things. We have the ability to, we do not have the political will. I feel like I've lost you. Have I lost you? No. Hopefully I was able to make that to make sense for people because I know economics can be boring as fuck. But that's how our country is ran. And people prey on that. These elites know that most people, your Joe Blow doesn't pay attention to economics. That's how they're able to stay in power. By being able to prey on our own ignorance. And I'm not saying ignorance in a bad way. If I don't know something, I don't know calculus. I'm ignorant to that. So I'm not, you can't be blamed for that. That's not a bad thing, but you don't know it. So people take advantage of that. That'd be like me saying, to putting you in another country and you don't speak the language and saying, oh, well, that person said that you owe them $50 for this cab ride. When really it's five bucks, but you don't know the language. So you don't know. So you pay them 50 bucks, right? You're not, you don't know. So you can't be blamed for that. So all I'm saying is once we understand how economics works in this country, then that's how we can truly stand up and take back power, put power into the hands of the people. So the next time your congressman says, oh, well, we can't afford it because we're going to go broke. What can you say? That's bullshit. That's complete bullshit. We can afford it. If Tommy Tuberville says, well, we can't afford it. How are we going to pay for it? I'd say, well, how do you? How are you okay with a one point nine trillion dollar tax cut for the rich? How are you okay with a seven hundred forty billion dollar defense program in the middle of a uh, pandemic? Could we afford those? How come we could afford those, but we couldn't afford health care for the working class people? That's what I would ask. That sounds like a pretty good question, don't you? Reasonable. Sounds reasonable to me. So, all of I'm saying is we can afford it as a nation. We just have to have the political will and those in power to want to make it happen. So that's that's my two cents. And that just was laid on my heart. And I just had to say it.
So, anyway. Good to get it off your chest. It's just been weighing there, and it's just been weighing heavy. So I felt like I just need to share it. You know, I know we were wanting to go to lunch and all, but I just really wanted to share it. So, that's what I got to say about that. So to sum it up, what exactly is the federal job guarantee and how exactly should it be brought up in future discussions? Okay, that's a great point. And it's kind of, it goes back to what we've been talking about for so long. You know, we're at that point where we can't just tiptoe. We can't tiptoe and do Band-Aids. And Biden's plan, while it has its positives, is a Band-Aid. It's not, it's not taking care of the root issue. But people said he's supposed to be a one, one-term president anyway. Okay, well, just because you're a one-term president, you should have even more incentive to do bold action. You should have even more incentive to want to make these transformative policies that will help generations of people. Because you're not wor- you're not supposed to be worried about getting reelected, right? So you should be gung-ho balls to the fucking wall. Those saggy balls should be just to the wall right? pushing these bold, transformative policies. A federal job guarantee is exactly that. So, you know, during the Great Depression, FDR knew that he had to get people back to work, right? He knew that the United States, its infrastructure, like we talked about, was crumbling. So he created in his New Deal this job program that pretty much said, if you need a job, you will have a job. There was close to, what, 25 million people out of work in the Great Depression? Roughly. Yeah. So he put people to work building roads, building buildings, building dams, building uh, bridges. Any little thing that the country needed for its infrastructure, there was a job for it. Think about all the different power line programs. The electrical grid was essentially built in the Great Depression by these jobs programs. And nobody there wondered, well, said, oh, well, how are we going to pay for it? Well, they knew that if people are working, they get paid, correct? Right. When you get paid, what are you going to do with your paycheck? Spend it. You're going to spend it, which then boosts the economy, which is going to more than pay for itself than what your check would cost, correct? Right. That's how you more than pay for the, quote, quote, if you had to pay for these things. And so the same thing can be done today. Do we not have roads that need to be built? Yeah. Airports that need to be restructured? A electrical grid, look at what happened in Texas. Less than a month ago. Prime example. Yes. That's the electrical grid that needs to be completely revamped and brought into the 21st century. Uh, Look at the Green New Deal with climate change. We need these green energy jobs. Wind turbines. We need to be moving or even making these pipelines more uh, efficient. You know, rebuilding them. These are all energy jobs that can be created under a federal job guarantee. And that's how we assure a $15 minimum wage. Right. So if you get a federal job and say, let's say you get laid off by your job, okay? Then there's a federal job waiting for you right there that says we will pay you, let's say, $15 an hour. So if that private sector job, let's say if Home Depot lays you off, right? Because, oh, we can't afford it. We're having to start paying you $15. We can't afford it, so we're going to lay you off. That's the biggest argument that conservatives use, right? Right. So if that happens, you are then able to get a job with the federal government. If that private business wants to stay in business, they have to raise their wages or else they go out of business. 
So that is giving the worker rights. It's giving the worker a power. It's giving the worker a say-so in what they make, where they work, and their conditions. They have power. It's called bargaining rights. So the, they are able to continue to either work for the federal government or go back to their job and have better pay. It's like a safety valve, almost. So then everyone who is struggling to that cannot find a job can find a job. And it's helping the economy and, or the country as a whole because you're able to do these jobs that are needed in the country and make a decent wage as well. So it's just, it's overall how we can truly build a better country and a more equitable country. Right. And that's what it comes down to. But it involves bold ideas and it involves being imaginative. Why should we just settle for less? That's what I'll keep going back to earlier. Why should we just settle for less? I mean, don't you, as a worker, Zach, want to be able to make more? Do you yeah. think that you are only worth seven twenty-five? No, nor should nobody should be worth seven twenty-five. You work a lot harder than that, don't you? A lot. So you should be able to be paid a what you are worth, what labor you provide to the company that you work for. You should be able to pay because they can afford it. These. Companies are owned by millionaires and billionaires. They should be able to pay for what labor you produce in that country or in that company. Right. It's called, and that's not asking a lot, I don't think. I don't think it's asking some crazy, outrageous thing. It's called demanding a stake in your work, in your labor. But that's all I got for you on that. Really read into it. The federal job guarantee is a great thing that is not political at all. It benefits everyone. So it's an a very apolitical thing that can truly transform this country. And if you want to know more about it, look up the Real Progressives. Definitely. Check out Real Progressives. It's a group that I volunteer for. It's a great, great group. And we're all about weaponizing knowledge because you are stronger when you know, when you know things. There's so many things that we miss out on because we're not knowledgeable of them. So definitely check them out. And also leave us a like and review. We want to know what you think. Leave us a comment in the what comments. What you section. like and didn't like. Definitely. We want to know. We want to hear from you. We want to know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. But definitely make sure to hit that like, subscribe, comments, and leave us a review. That's how we move up in the charts to be able to get this message out to more people. And so, Zach, until next week, what do you tell? Levitate in your perspective each episode at the time. Thank you all and have a great week.